And so as we go into this Rhythms of Grace journey, what we're really talking about is just retuning our hearts and our minds into the God-given, life-giving rhythms of grace, where we're able to be tuned in to God's voice in our life throughout our day and throughout our week. And so we're going to continue on as we look at this rhythm of regular solitude with God. A rhythm, I know, is often really uh, hard, if not seemingly impossible, for us to engage in. So you're going to want your Bible. If you have a Bible, go on and open up. We're going to begin in Mark chapter 6. If you need a Bible, just slip up a hand. Got some folks walking around. They'll put a Bible in your hand so you can follow along. And if you don't have a Bible at home, then we invite you just to take that home with you. as uh, our gift to you. It's like that's the most precious, one of the most precious gifts that you could receive. So we've talked about it in this Rhythms of Grace journey is that in our distracted, busy, chaotic, crazy lives, that it is so often for, easy for us to miss the very things that God designed for us to experience and that our souls crave. And so even as we talk about solitude, we're talking about a rhythm, a practice that God, that, that God invites us into to live into the fullness of life, but it's a life that is actually upside down or completely counter to the life that the world and culture is forcing upon us. So therefore, what we're about to enter into is not easy. I recognize that. And this is a journey that I am learning and leaning into with you. But let's see what God might have to, have to speak to us today. Before we go there, uh, Henry Nouwen is a great author. He, uh, he wrote a book looking at the wisdom of what's called the Desert Fathers. The Desert Fathers were uh, a group of men, Desert Fathers and Mothers, a group of men and women that um, as the, the church uh, in the, the early church in, in the early in 400s, 500s, was becoming more and more enmeshed in the, the Roman Empire, it was also becoming um, more culturally saturated, and therefore it was becoming uh, more uh, depraved and decadent. And so these men and women were leaving the, the established church, and they were going into the wilderness, into the desert, where they could relearn what it meant to find communion with God. And we have some records of their writings, their journalings in this place of solitude. And, and so Henry Nouwen wrote a book about that, that called The Way of the Heart. And, and this is one of his quotes. He said that from all that I said about our worried, overfilled lives, it is clear that we are usually surrounded by so much outer noise that it is hard to truly hear our God when he is speaking to us. We've often become deaf unable to know when God calls us and unable to understand in which direction he calls us. As a pastor, one of the questions that I get asked a lot and, um, and not always in this form, but uh, with the same heart or meaning behind it is this question of, okay, what is God's will for my life? Anyone ever ask that question? Like, who, who did God make me to be? Like, what is it that he's created me to do? Like, why am I here? What is this life about? 
in times that we feel stuck or we feel alone or we feel lost and we just look at our lives and we're like, is this all there is? Is this what it's about? Like, what is God's will for my life? And what Henry Nouwen is pointing to is that the only way that we can walk in God's will is to recognize and respond to his ever-present voice and word in our life. That God's will isn't necessarily a destination that one day we might get to, but instead it's a relationship that we live into every day. And yet, we are surrounded and bombarded by so much noise and activity, both from outside and, if we're honest, from within, that it so often drowns that still small voice that is leading us forward. Jesus, the good shepherd, who says, I call my sheep by name, and I lead you forward. Identity and destiny, who you are and what you are made to do. He, he says that our lives have become, he uses this word, we don't use it that often, it's the word absurd. He says our lives have become absurd. And he, he chooses that word intentionally because the word absurd, it comes from the Latin uh, root, certus, which means deaf. Our lives are absurd because they are deaf to the things of God. We're surrounded by this other significant word, amusement. Now, we think of amusement as just sort of fun distraction, right? Like, we go to an amusement park, that's just a fun day away. Or I enjoy Netflix as an amusement in my life. But the interesting thing is that the, the word amusement, when it, was first, uh, when it first began to get used, it, what it meant was to divert the attention, something that diverts your attention, but it was actually used in the sense, and this is cool, is, uh, it was actually used in the sense of to divert your attention in order to lie and to cheat. In order, in other words, it's like, hey, look over here while I'm stealing your wallet out of your back pocket. And I honestly think that original use of the word amusement is more true now for the things that we call amusement than it ever has been. Something that is a distraction in order to lie and to cheat us of the life that God intended. And he compares that actually to the word obedient. John 15, Jesus says that I, my desire is that you would live in the fullness of joy. And you'll live in the fullness of joy when you live at home in my love. And you'll live at home in my love when you walk in obedience to me. And that word obedience actually comes from the Latin root, adere, which means to listen or to hear. In other words, you didn't come to church expecting a, a, an English etymology language, but God's desire for you to live in the fullness of life, the fullness of joy, at home in his love, is a life of listening hearing the voice of God in comparison to an absurd life filled with the noise of distraction. Does that resonate with anyone else? That's why Dallas Willard will say that it is busyness or hurry the great enemy of our spiritual lives. He'll write, 
without solitude, without that alone quietness with God, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. Solitude begins with a time and a place for God and Him alone. If we really believe not only that God exists, but also that He is actively present in our lives, healing, teaching, and guiding, we need to set aside a time and a space to give Him our undivided attention. But we do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and to listen to Him. I want you to pay attention to that, that second sentence there because I think it's important. If, that's a big if, if we really believe that God doesn't just exist, but that he is actively present. Maybe for some of you, that, you need to stop right there and that'd be the question that you're, you spend the rest of the time thinking about. Do I actually believe exists as this cosmic king outruling the cosmos or that yes he is that but he is also a God who is near present faithful available it would change everything because no longer is it just about a Sunday morning experience where I try to get an emotional spiritual high long enough to sustain me the rest of the week but it's about Monday morning as I'm driving to work or Thursday afternoon as I head home or Friday night as I hang out with my friends. It's about a life lived in the awareness of the constant available presence of God made possible by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the good news. The good news isn't just simply heaven one day. The good news is the life of heaven available now in the midst of our broken and lost and flawed world. I mean, this is Jesus' invitation. Let's actually read together. This has been our sort of theme passage for our journey uh, over the last several weeks. It's Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30, out of the message version, and, um, and let's just read that out loud as a community. Here we go. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The invitation of Jesus for you, for me, as his followers, his apprentices, into his way of life. And so we learn this way of hearing, of walking with the Lord as our good shepherd in that place called solitude. Now we talked already, you know, we, we've been building or leaning into these rhythms, we call it habit stacking, you know, beginning to sort of realign our lives. First, those daily rhythms of beginning and ending our day, like the sun that rises and the sun that sets, that breath in and that breathing out of beginning and ending our day with scripture and with prayer. 
And then we added to it that intentional practice of daily finding time to just be silent with God for a few moments. Sort of that centering prayer of just coming into an awareness of God with us, Emmanuel with us all the time. And then this past week, and I really hope that, that many of you have, have uh, entered into the practice of the weekly rhythm of Sabbath rest, that 24 hours of stopping, resting, delighting and playing, celebrating, and then worship and contemplation, a day unto the Lord, as we talked about last week, that's different than simply a day off. And so I, I hope through your journey groups or your own study through the journey guide that maybe today for you is your first time to really attempt Sabbath as a day unto the Lord of stopping, resting, delighting, and worshiping. Uh, maybe Friday night or Saturday, but I really hope that you took that time to intentionally lean in. And my real prayer is that it wouldn't just be a one-time experiment, but as a community, we would learn how to live into that as a regular weekly way of life. And so if, if that is, if you have experimented with that, I'd love to hear some stories um, as uh, the invitation to stumble into Sabbath, uh, as me and Sadie say, as we're learning to implement this into our family. But today we're going to talk about not just simply uh, the, the daily um, alone time, the quiet time with God, but that the, the spiritual heroes and, and the, the, the biblical models that we have show the significance of that extended time alone with God. Now we need those regular rhythms of quiet and aloneness with the Lord, as Richard Foster calls it, are the little solitudes of our day. And I wanted to start there because I think there's some things that are important for us to grab a hold of um, as, a, as, a, as a rhythm, as a way of seeing our lives that set us up for that, that more extended time of solitude with God. And so in Mark 6, it's this really powerful story that um, truly illustrates the humanity of, of Jesus, who was fully God, but also fully human. He knew what it was like to experience this life as we experience it. And Mark 6 actually begins, and I'm going to give kind of a quick synopsis, um, and, then, uh, and then pull a few things out of it. Um, I can't dive fully in for time's sake, but my encouragement, as I say every week, is uh, way more important than anything I have to say from up here is what God wants to be speaking to you through his word. So encourage you strongly this week, spend some time digging into Mark 6 on your own and see what God might be speaking to you through it. Mark 6 begins, actually, with Jesus experiencing rejection. He, he's begun his ministry. He's, uh, he's healing people. He's giving sight to the blind. The, the lame are walking. He's touching the leper, and, and, and the unclean is becoming clean. He's teaching in a way that people hear his teaching, and it says that they are astonished because he taught as, as one with authority, not just like their normal teachers of the law. And so, so crowds are beginning to surround Jesus, just leaning in, eager to see, hear what he's going to say next, to see what he's going to do next. I mean, they're, they are absolutely astonished by Jesus. I mean, the miracles they're seeing are blowing their mind. In every town that he goes to, more and more people are showing up just to see what God's going to do next until he goes back home. 
And he goes back home to his friends and family in Nazareth, the place that he grew up as a boy. And it says that, that, that they're astonished at his teaching. But it's a different word. It's not the idea of like astonished and leaning in, tell me more. But it's like this idea of astonished, like, like walls up. Like, I don't know about that. And in fact, what they say about Jesus is telling. They say, isn't this Jesus? We know him. We know his family. Isn't he Mary's son? Which in itself is a slander, because what you normally would say is, isn't this Joseph the father's son? That's the honoring way to say it. But what they're alluding to is this sort of hush-hush scandal in Jesus' childhood about Mary who was visited by an angel and then got pregnant. And that sort of lingered here. It's like, we know this family. This is Mary's son. We know his brother's. And it said that they had so little faith that Jesus wasn't able to do any miracles there. So Jesus knows what it's like to be rejected, especially by those you would expect to embrace you. And then as it continues, there's, it tells this story of Jesus' cousin and close friend and ministry partner, John the Baptist, who, uh, who had been imprisoned at this point, and he's been imprisoned by King Herod, and one day, King Herod throws this party for all of his friends, and there's this young girl who's dancing, and, uh, and, and Herod is infatuated with her, and just sort of in, a, you know, in craziness, he goes, hey, no, ask me for anything, and it's yours. Well, the girl's mom doesn't like John the Baptist at all because of some of the things that John the Baptist has been preaching, so her mom whispers in this girl's ear and says, hey, listen. Ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so, so she goes, yes, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And, uh, and uh, Herod, who actually liked John the Baptist, liked to listen to the things that he said and, and would go in and, and um, ask him questions and things, uh, had to, because he's standing in front of all of these guests, fulfill the thing that he had just pledged. And so he sends his guards into the prison, and they behead John the Baptist. We're told that John Baptist's disciples go and take his body and go and bury him. And then uh, Matthew actually tells us that uh, immediately they go and they tell Jesus what has happened. So not only is Jesus experiencing the rejection of his hometown, of his people, he's also at this point in deep grief. He's just found out about the brutal, nonsensical murder of his cousin and close friend. He knows what it's like to lose. He knows what it's like to grieve. And there are some of you in here that you know the pain of rejection, and there are some of you that in here that right now are sitting in a deep place of grief. And Jesus knows what that feels like. But at the same time, it's not just all these bad things happening because Jesus has just sent out the 12 young men that he's raising up as his disciples in the authority and the power that he's given them. And all these kind of miracles are happening. They're teaching the kingdom of God. They're, they're doing miracles. They're casting out demons. I mean, all kinds of, of spiritual victories are happening. And so they come to Jesus and they're telling him all the things that they've taught and the things that they've seen. So in the midst of this pain... In the midst of this rejection, there's also this incredible celebration and victory. But isn't that life? Like, there's one thing I love about the Bible. I, I used to picture the Bible as this sort of old book on a shelf collecting dust that had a few interesting spiritual nuggets, but most of it was pretty irrelevant to my life. 
The reality is that the Bible is flesh and blood. I mean, it is everyday, ordinary, real people doing real things in real places, and God keeps showing up. In the pain and in the celebration. In the grief and in the joy. And here is Jesus in this giant collision. Awful and awesome. Anyone been there? I mean, I can tell... No, like times of, of leaving a family's house who has just lost a loved one or praying over the bed of someone who's in, in their final days or in, 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 uh, in the midst of an illness or disease and then leaving that place to go hold a brand new baby or prepare for a wedding. I mean, that's life. And here's the thing. It is not just the negative experiences of life that wear us out. It's also the positive experiences. Because all of it is about pouring our life out. And in all of it, we need rest. And actually, I would argue is that oftentimes we are most vulnerable right after a great spiritual victory or a massive celebration. Because we're pouring out and pouring out. And at some point, we begin to run dry. And so we pick up in Mark chapter 6, where it says that so the disciples, apostles, return to Jesus. They tell him all the things they've done and taught. And so Jesus says to them, come to a desolate place and rest a while. And that word we talked about this, uh, the last couple of weeks, this word de- desolate place, is the word eremos. Say that with me. Eremos. And it means a solitary place, a place of quiet or aloneness. And so here's Jesus recognizing that they've run themselves ragged and this invitation, come with me to a quiet place and get some rest. In fact, it says that for many were coming and going. There's so many needs that they had no leisure or time even to eat. Anyone been there? Where your day just is so full, so busy, just nonstop, thing after thing after thing, that you wake up, you look up, and it's four o'clock, you're like, oh my gosh, I forgot to eat today. Anyone else done that? And, and this is where the disciples are. They're just going and going. They're experiencing grief and rejection, but also all of this busyness. And so Jesus says, hey, listen, stop. Come away with me. Let's get some rest. But look at what happens. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he, Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Those of you that we've been able to take over to uh, Israel-Palestine, we've gone up to the Sea of Galilee, and you can see, I mean, you can see across that entire lake, and uh, these little towns that kind of dot the shore um, in, in, in various places. And so Jesus is, is recognizing, man, you're exhausted. This invitation, come away with me. Let's get some rest. Let's refuel. And so he takes them in this boat. But the people see him get in the boat and leave. And so they go racing around the shoreline. And they actually end up beating Jesus to the other side. So they've just left being exhausted. They get in the boat with the promise of rest on the other side, and they get there, and there's more need. Have you been there? Where you come to the end of the week, and you're like, I am exhausted. Thank God it is Friday, and then you get a phone call or a water pipe bursts. 
or a friend has an emergency. And it's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding? Like, when is this alleged rest, Jesus? Was this just like a mean trick? Like, hey, come with me and get some rest. Just kidding. More to do. And, and it, when it hit me, I remember I was working at a summer camp up in Colorado, and, uh, and, and I was sitting on the porch. I had just a few minutes and, um, it, before breakfast because once breakfast started, it was on until late in the night. I mean, we just didn't stop. And I remember I was sitting there, and I was already so tired. It was towards the end of the week, and I read this passage, and I was like, God, is this a joke? Like, when is the rest? And I felt like Jesus is like, I'm not a liar. And I was like, well, yeah, I, I know. Like, but I gave them the boat ride. See, Jesus knew what they needed. He also knew what was waiting for them on the other side of the shore. And the problem is, most of the time, I don't recognize the boat ride. I just rush from thing to thing and then complain to God that I don't find any stillness or rest. And it changed my life because all of a sudden it was, okay, God, what is the gift of the boat ride that you're giving me in the midst of all the craziness? Maybe it's in the car Instead of turning on the radio or listening to a podcast or making a bunch of phone calls, it's just turning everything off. It's of waiting in a doctor's waiting room, and, uh, and they haven't called my name yet. Instead of checking my email real fast, it is just sitting still and breathing. I think that God is inviting us into boat rides all day long. We just don't see them for what they are because we're too caught up in either what we have left undone or what's waiting for us on the other side of the lake. And I just wonder, what boat rides does God have for you this week? That invitation, and we talked about centering prayer, and that's really been a practice that has, uh, has been incredibly healing for me, but of just stopping long enough to just breathe and, and just recognize the presence of God with me. And whether that's for five minutes or for 15 that God is stilling my heart. He's quieting the noise in my ears. And he's reminding me that he's right there. Because he knows what waits on the other side of the lake. And the same is true for you. For me, one of the uh, sweetest times, and so the place that I, I work out is just, um, I mean, like just down the street from where I live. And, and so uh, most mornings I'll walk there and it's just, I mean, it's like literally like three minutes of a walk. But it's my boat ride. And it's one of my favorite times. And I'll walk out, and it's usually still dark, and I'll just stand on my front porch, and I'll take a deep breath, and then I'll walk. And as I walk, I, I'll pray through, just slowly pray through the Lord's Prayer and call to mind, God, what do I need from you today? What are the things I need to forgive or le release in forgiveness or receive forgiveness? Deliver me from evil. Lead me not to temptation. And literally, it's a three-minute boat ride or walk from my house. But it's one of my favorite times. So what's God's boat ride for you? Now, this regular rhythm in the busyness of our day, this invitation 
to discover solitude even when we're surrounded by other people. But here's the irony. We are more connected technologically as a people group than we ever have been before in history. And at the same time, we feel more disconnected than we ever have in history. Most of us in this room know what it's like to feel alone even when we're surrounded by other people. Most of us know what it's like to feel unknown even with a thousand notifications. To feel unseen even with a hundred views. What God's inviting you into is to be surrounded by people, to be surrounded by chaos and noise, and to know that you're not alone, that he is present, that he sees you, that he knows you, that he loves you, and he's with you. That's the invitation in solitude. But it's terrifying. Because we don't know what to do when it gets quiet. And what's the most scary is not the noise that surrounds us. It's the noise right here. Because I don't honestly want to always face what's going on inside of me. And that's where we move from the invitation for the little solitudes into this extended time, enough time to slow down long enough to be able to be present with God and with ourselves that we can hear from him and respond to his voice. And so we see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus who, after being baptized, and as he's being baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, this voice from heaven declares his identity. This is my son whom I love. Launches him out into his destiny, into his ministry. And the first place that is into the wilderness. Luke chapter 4, if you want to flip there. And actually that word there for, that is translated wilderness, and Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. The word wilderness there is the same word. It's eremos, into the solitary place. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. I love that, the humanity of Jesus. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And pause right there. And again, there's so much in this chapter I encourage you to dig into this week. But to pull out uh, a couple of things, one is that Satan's point of attack on Jesus is at his point of identity. He's just heard from God, this is my son whom I love. And he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he's confronted by his vulnerability. He's, weak, he's tired, he's alone, and he's hungry. It's easy to perceive him as weak in that moment. But I think what we'll discover is actually Jesus was at his strongest in that place of solitude. But he's there long enough to confront his vulnerability. Satan comes, and the first thing that Satan does is question the identity that God has just spoken. The same is true for you. The moment God begins to reveal, this is who you are to me. This is who I made you to be. This is what I've created you to do. You can, you can 
100% guarantee there's going to be another voice that comes right in and goes, yeah, did God really say? Who are you to think? You know what you did. You remember that 20 years ago? How could God love you now? You know what you said yesterday? How could God use you ever again? He calls you beloved? Yeah, right. You've been left alone and forgotten your whole life. I mean, Satan's attack comes at that point of identity. If you are the son of God. But then it, it, it comes in at his point of vulnerability. It says he's hungry, and so, so Satan is like, listen, if you are the son of God, then prove it. Turn that stone into a piece of bread. It's an appeal to his appetite. In other words, that you can satisfy your desires apart from God. It's the same temptation we face. It's actually the same temptation as the original temptation in the garden. You can meet your needs apart from God. He's too slow. He doesn't care. He doesn't know what's going on. Look at the world around you. If God really cared, would he let that happen? If God really cared, would he let all of this craziness go on? If God was really present, would you feel the way that you feel? He doesn't care. Listen, you take care of yourself. This is what you need. This is your solution. Take this, do this, buy this. Fill your life with noise and distractions. That's what you need because then you'll feel good. Get comfortable. And you'll never be comfortable, so just try to get numb. And just try to get numb long enough to be able to ignore what's really going on because you don't want to face what's going on because it'll kill you. Anyone? You can satisfy your need apart from God. And what does Jesus say? It's an interesting phrase, man does not live on bread alone. Because there's also pizza. <laughs> What's Jesus really saying? Well, look at Jesus is actually going back to Deuteronomy. I'm going to pull that on the screen. Remember last week we talked about Sabbath is God's invitation to learn what it's like to live as free people when all we know is the bondage of slavery. That we're human beings, not human doings. That our value is not measured by our output. Uh, that our worth is not measured by how much we produce. And so Jesus, I mean, so the invitation of God into the rhythm of weekly Sabbath is to remember is that you are a child created by God to be with God. Stop. He's God. You're not. The world will still spin, the grass will still grow, the sun will still rise, and you will still breathe. Just be with me. And in that same way, as, Jesus, as, as God is leading the people out of slavery into the promised land, they stop at the edge of the Jordan River. Literally, the promised land is on the other side of the river. And at the mountain on the far side, Moses gives his final message. And, and God speaks through Moses, and he says these words. You shall remember that the whole way that the Lord your God has been leading you these 40 years through the wilderness, moving you from slavery into freedom, that he might humble you, testing, and that word testing isn't like just a quiz, it means revealing, refining, strengthening, drawing out what is really there. You to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with the manna that you did not even know, nor did your forefathers know that he might know the man, that man or humanity does not live by bread alone, but listen to this, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What's Jesus saying? 
like Satan, can you not satisfy my needs? Not only can I not satisfy my own needs, the only one that can truly satisfy, the only thing that can truly satisfy is the word of the Lord in our lives. He continues on in this place of lack, of perceived weakness. He takes Jesus up and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. He says, listen, I can give you to the, all of this if you just bow down and worship me. Jesus is like, no, no, no. We're only to worship, to serve the Lord our God and him alone. The irony is, is that Jesus is calling his destiny. Yes, he's the son of God, but he's going to be crowned the king of kings. But to get to the point of being the king of the whole universe, he's got to go through the cross. And what Satan is offering him is an alternative route that actually will lead to death, but the illusion is that it will get, get Jesus to where he's meant to go faster. Anybody face that temptation? God, I can't wait on your timing. I need to take care of this now. God, I know what I'm supposed to do with my life. It needs to happen tomorrow. It's an appeal to ambition. And then the last is that uh, Jesus alone there, uh, Satan takes him up to the top of the temple and all the people gathered there for worship and Satan's like, listen. And then he starts getting real crafty. He actually quotes scripture back to Jesus. I mean, he, mis he uh, mishandles it. He doesn't, he uh, misquotes it, but uh, he still uses scripture to try to, to tempt Jesus. And he's like, listen, if you throw yourself off the top of this temple in front of all of these onlooker onlookers, man, Talk about the splash you'll make. Not like the splash on the ground, but like, you know. You want to you rally the troops? You want to you call people to your cause? Man, let's go big, Jesus. Because if you throw yourself off, God's not going to let you get hurt. He'll command a whole army of angels to lift you up. You want to be exalted? You want to be admired? You want the people's approval? Here's how you do it. And these three temptations, I think, in, in, uh, give us a glimpse of the, sa the same common temptations we all face. And our appetites, to grasp for what is not yet ours or not meant to be ours, for approval, to do what we do to get others to, to like us, to think highly of us, even if it's apart from God, to not do the things we know we're supposed to do because others might not like us or might reject us. And in the solitude, in the place that we face our vulnerability, we also come face to face with the places of testing and trial. Because I have to be honest, when I'm alone with God and myself, oh, I can see that. Oh, I totally see what I'm what I'm doing there that's I'm only doing to try to get their approval. Oh, I see the conversation that I'm avoiding because I'm afraid of upsetting somebody. Oh, I see the thing that I'm striving after to make myself feel big or important. Oh, I see the way that I give in way too fast and way too often to this craving. In solitude, we come face to face with who we really are. But on the other side of that honesty is healing and freedom. I'll say it again. On 
the other side of that honesty that can only come in solitude is healing and freedom. So to finish out that Henry Nouwen quote, he writes, we enter into solitude first of all to meet our Lord and to be with him and him alone. Only in the context of grace can we face our sin. Only in the place of healing do we dare to show our wounds. Only with a single-minded attention to Christ can we give up our clinging fears and face our own true nature. Solitude is a place where Christ remodels us in his own image and frees us from the victimizing compulsions of the world. In more modern language, the writer Anne Lamott writes, Almost everything will work again if you unplug it for a few minutes, including you. So this week's practice is quite simple. The invitation, if you so choose, is to get alone with God. Not for just a few minutes of quiet in the beginning and the end of your day, maintain that daily rhythm. But this extended time alone, at least four to six hours, some I know, I've heard some stories back from you already in our journey group. And I hope, if those of you that are in a journey group, I hope early on you all began to already uh, set aside time. I know for me that a great idea is just an interesting thought if it doesn't make it onto my calendar. Amen? And so I hope you already found that time. And also, you just, this is the power of community. Is I know uh, one, one journey group, there's a single mom in there that the, the others in her group are like, hey, help, let us help you with your kids. Like, we'll take your kids for the day so that you can go and have this time alone with God. For those of you, you know, like, I'll take your cats out for a walk, whatever you need. You know what I mean? Like, how do we help each other as friends and neighbors and family? Like, that's the power of community. And actually, next week, where we're going to go with, uh, as, as we end with this rhythm of celebration, this biblical rhythm of celebration, what we'll discover, and I hope that you see how this is all building up, uh, on each other. It's kind of the pinnacle here is this solitude into celebration. Is that we really can't enter fully into, into solitude as a way of life if we don't know what it means to have healthy community. And we can't really live in healthy community if we don't know what it means to live in the ways of regular solitude. The two go hand in hand. Until I'm present with myself and with God, or with God and with myself, I don't know how to be truly present with somebody else. And so this is a gift. It's not just a gift to you, it's actually a gift to our community. What we need from you is the best version of yourself. And you will only find the best version of yourself in solitude with the Lord. The most loving thing you can do for your family is to get alone with God. I'll say that again. The most loving thing you can do for your friends and your family is to get alone with God. I didn't say this in the first service, but just think about that for one second. We know it's true, right? Because when am I the worst to my friends and my family? When I'm tired, busy, exhausted, and hurried, right? Like, when do I snap? When do I say stupid things? When am I a jerk? And solitude is a gift, not just for you, but for the people that matter the most in your life. 
So find the time. Fight for it for each other. And may we become the kind of community that this is our way of life. The weekly unplugging of Sabbath, the regular getting away of extended time with the Lord, the daily rhythms of silent scripture and prayer. And so I want to give you just a few tips on that as I encourage you to enter into that. Now, I know we said it's monthly solitude. <clears throat> to be honest, that's not in the Bible anywhere. Um, it just fit nice on a page because you had <laughs> daily silence, weekly Sabbath, monthly solitude. But when you actually read um, the, <clears throat> like the, the memoirs and the biographies of sort of the spiritual heroes, uh, a lot of them come back to that monthly rhythm being a regular practice in their lives. And so it doesn't have to be monthly. Some of you, seasons of life or whatever, that's, that's impossible. Um, but at least try it once and then build it in as a regular rhythm, maybe quarterly, maybe twice a year. Once a year would still be a win. Um, but to get away, get alone, start small, like I said, even if it's just four hours, six hours, um, but unplug. Leave your phone in the car. Turn it off. It's not going to kill you. You're going to be okay. Get your phone off of your person and away. Put it on silent or airplane mode. I mean, shut the thing down. And then just take yourself and God. I encourage you, don't take like, a podcast. And I'm not gonna, don't listen to worship music. It's still filling our life with noise. Uh, uh, don't take a bunch of books you're going to read, a, an agenda you're going to accomplish, 10 problems you're going to solve, 30 people you're going to pray for. Leave all of it. Just take your Bible and your journal and a pen and go be alone. Unplug in an undistracted place. There's a monastery right down the road. I know a few of our friends that, that are doing their practice, some last week, some this coming week, um, that they'll let you just go any time of the day. If you want to stay overnight, you just have to book that in advance. Um, find a friend's cabin, find a friend's basement apartment. I mean, just find a place that you can be quiet. Uh, my wife, Sadie, um, she rented uh, one of the yurts at Fort Yargo, and so uh, that's where she went Monday. Uh, she went Monday afternoon after work and uh, had her solitude time and came back Tuesday morning. Um, so, I mean, just find a way to get unplugged, to get alone and unplug. And then think, yeah, so think small or subtraction, not addition. Um, and then uh, and then four, which I'm finding... Oh, let go of your expectations. This is important. Don't go into it expecting there to be some, like, angel singing from heaven, unicorn uh, and rainbows moment. If that happens, praise the Lord. I mean, who doesn't want to see a unicorn, right? But the point isn't this, like, glamorous experience with God. It is just to be with God, to learn to just be with God like a close friend. Like, if you went into every hangout time with your best friend expecting it to be mind-blowing that'd be pretty exhausting wouldn't it so don't expect something profound if it is great I've had times of solitude and like I said this has been a practice that has been transformative for me but just in the last uh, two or three years now um, and there's been times that it has been like unbelievably like earth-shattered, like life-changing. And other times, it's just been normal. So like this last one, I went Friday to a friend that has a farm down the road, and there's a, a cabin on the property. And I just went to that cabin for an afternoon, for a day, and uh, 
and I went and I just started my day with, with taught centering prayer, just sat alone with God and just breathed and, and just came into it, like just uh, invited the presence of God to, to be with me. Then I opened my Bible and I read a little bit. It was real exciting stuff, guys. And I, I would read a few verses, not hurried, and then I would stop and think about stuff. Then I'd read a few more verses, then stop and think about stuff. And then I went for a walk, and I just walked. And when I saw something interesting, I stopped and looked at it. And then I kept walking. And then I came back, and I uh, did this journaling practice that Satan I just found out about that's super cool, and if you're interested, I can tell you more about it later. It was like 20 minutes. And then I took a nap because I was tired. And then I woke up from the nap, and I went for another walk. And then I came back, and I said, and, that, and the, the fifth thing there, and I always, as a practice, encourage this, is just to thank God. Whether it was powerful or simple, earth-shattering or just normal, God, thank you. God, thank you that you want to meet with me. God, thank you that you're here in this place. And then I always bless the place that I am. God bless this space. May it be a place of peace for anyone else that comes here. And that was it. That was my Friday. And it was awesome. Because it's a way of life that we're learning to lean into. And the boat rides become more tangible when we have the extended solitude. And we're able to learn how to sit in the solitude when we recognize the boat rides. And so there's one last practice as we, enter, as we close in our time of worship together that I want to enter into, and I hope it's helpful for you. <clears throat> and just a way of sort of breathing scripture, of just meditating on uh, the beauty of God's word. There's a word that shows up in the, in the Psalms often. It's uh, Psalm 62. I mean, sorry, the word is, we'll be in Psalm 62, but the word is uh, the word Selah. And there, it, there's not a, a clear English translation of that word. But it's this idea of sort of a, of a musical rest, but it's deeper than that. It's like, a, it's like a pause for contemplation. It's like a deep breath in of just sitting for a moment in the truth that's just been declared. And so when you see in the Psalms that word Selah, it just means rest. Selah. And so here's what I want to do. I want to just lead you in a, in a prayer time. And, uh, and we're going to use the words of Psalm 62. They're going to be on the screen. I'm going to encourage you, and I'll tell you when, just to read out loud uh, this psalm as a prayer together. And then when you see the word Selah, you don't have to say it out loud, but when you see the word Selah, just close your eyes and just take a deep breath. And just sit in the moment. And then we'll continue on <clears throat> with the psalm as a prayer. And so this is Psalm 62. And before we begin, I encourage you, <clears throat> excuse me, just close your eyes right now and just take a deep breath. And like the air coming into your lungs, recognize Emmanuel, God with us, as if you're breathing in the very presence of God. And then slowly just breathe out. And then breathe in. And slowly breathe out. 
us pray together. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. Now just close your eyes and call to mind anyone in your life or in your past who has wrongfully attacked you, cursed you, or lied about you. Someone who's taken advantage of you or tried to knock you down. Now breathe in. And as you breathe out, feel yourself just release that person. And let's pray. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down when I'm like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. And now breathe. And let's pray. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock. My refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And breathe. And I'll call to mind someone in your life who you'd regard as common or less fortunate. struggling and now call to mind someone you'd say has significant wealth or power that you know and put the two of them side by side in your mind and let's pray those of low position are but a breath those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Don't trust in violence or depend on dishonesty or rely on great wealth. One thing God has spoken. Two things have I heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. The Lord rewards each of us according to our deeds. Now close your eyes and breathe in and out. And together we say, Amen.
going to move into a time of communion. As a reminder, the table is open to you. And I fancy myself an artist, so sometimes I like to leave things in nuance. And when somebody explains something to me, I feel like you've robbed me of a revelation that I should have had. It's a weird thing that I have. But at the risk of that, I will say, don't miss the little solitude of the table. That in the bread and cup, in the reminder of Jesus' presence, he calls us to a place of intimacy and solitude. But then there's this beautiful reminder that communion and the table is designed for community. And that in the very moment that we are together with him, we are together with others. And so this morning as we take communion, as we come forward, if you need prayer, if you want someone to just pray over you and, or bless you this morning, this time is, is for you and the Lord. Remember that this is one of those opportunities to have one of those little solitudes on a way to hopefully a, a larger, a larger one, a longer one. But no agenda. You can stand with us. You can stay seated. We're going to sing these songs. We're going to worship as we come forth uh, for communion and, and prayer. Let this time bless you.